Psalm 24, October 24th, and we will read this psalm and then pray, and then we're going to continue in our foundational convictions this morning, talking about developing courageous men, specifically courageous church men, men that are committed to, to the church. This is a great Great psalm to to start. There are three parts to this psalm. There's the first two verses. Uh, Then there is some questions that are asked, verses 3 through 6. So there's a Godward focus, a focus on the Lord, contemplating Him. Then there's a contemplation of your own heart through these questions. And then there is this worship. Um... An invitation, really. So this is a messianic psalm. Um, we know from uh, Jewish sources uh, that are well well read, well published, that every week the the priests in the temple uh, recited certain psalms. You know, like you have the songs of ascent. The Jewish people recited as they were climbing the southern staircase to go into the temple. There were also certain songs that the priests sung whenever they were doing their duties in the, you know, in the temple. Uh, and this was the specific psalm on the day of the triumphal entry. Uh, and I'll show you why that's, that's important whenever we, when, when we get there. Let's look at this contemplation to the Lord, or of the Lord. A psalm of David The earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. So David starts here, this psalm starts here with a contemplation of God, a thinking of God, a focus on God. Who is God? Um, Before he ever asks, who am I? Who's God? The earth is the Lord's. He's a creator. And everything in the earth is the Lord's. He's the, he's the sovereign creator, the owner of all, the ruler of all. The world and those who dwell in it, a parallel here. The earth is the Lord's, the world in the second half, and all, and all it contains, uh, and those who dwell in it. So it's just God's the creator, he owns the world, and everything in the world. He has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the the rivers, pointing to creation. Why is the earth the Lord's? Why is he, does he have the right to reign over it and rule it? Uh, Because he's the creator and we're the creation. I mean, if you ever uh, get that out of order, you're going to have everything out of order. But that's, that's really the disposition of the fallen human heart. I mean, think about the concept. We, as puny little creations, balling our fist up at the one who made us and just the the, the reorientation of everything. We rule over God. God's there for us rather than the other way around. But here is a contemplation of of God. It's exactly the same place that Jesus starts in, in Teach Us to Pray. Um, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. 
This is a starting point of, of your prayer. Starting point of your prayer is not what you need from God, but 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 God, who is He? And and it just it centers your heart. It rightly orients your heart. And then based on on that, he, he now moves from a contemplation of God to to His own heart. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord, and who may stand in His holy place? Now asking questions about about mankind, about human beings. And the priest would have read this and recited this. These questions would have been asked to the congregation, and the congregation would have responded. Um, who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? And the answer, he who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to falsehood nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, even Jacob. And so there's covenant language there, there in, the, you know, in the end. But after contemplating God, thinking about who God is, he's a creator, he made everything, he owns everything, who, who can stand before him? This is not talking about sinless perfection, but it's but these are covenant people asking themselves the question, um, some introspection here. Who may stand be, before him? Am I right with him? And he who has clean hands and a pure heart. This is uh, integrity. Integrity that begins inside and comes out in, in the way that, that, that we live. It's not how you get to God to, be, to begin with. That's by... Salvation is of the Lord, righteousness granted by faith alone. But then those of us who have trusted in the Lord, then, then we, we live, we walk, we, we, we express that faith in, in, in integrity in our hearts and in our actions. And then when we fail to do that, we confess that to, you know, to, this, to this one that's, that's there. So this is like a worship song, okay? We're going to start worship. Let's focus on who God is. Who is this God that we're about to approach? And then where am I at right now? Um, How do I stand uh, before him? Looking in my my own heart. Clean hands. Clean in in my actions. And a pure heart. So the, the righteous acts that come out of a Christian's life comes from integrity in their, in their heart. And all of that obviously comes from, from faith. From the one who made his, who's not lifted up his soul to falsehood in speaking integrity in your heart. You're, you're honest about who God is, who you are, your sin, which is what confession means. You say the same thing about your sin that God does. First John one nine. We we can we 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 are confessing people. It's not just you confess it once on a regular basis. We're honest about our sin. We're honest about what God says about our sin. We're coming to the Lord, and so this is the that same idea. And then this person receives blessing from the Lord. So part one, God. Part two, looking at ourselves. And then this, uh, this praise, this invitation. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, with the, the, the temple, that the king of glory may come in. An invitation, inviting God to come in and inhabit, inhabit the... The praise and the, of his people and t- the temple. Who is this king of glory? The Lord. That's who they're inviting in. 
strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your head, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. So the significance of that psalm is as the priests are reciting that inside the temple, you have the triumphal entry going on as Jesus is coming down the Kidron Valley from Mount of Olives and he's going in the eastern eastern gate while the priests are reciting, lift up your head, O gates, be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. All of the crowds are shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So... Here is the king, the son of David. He's, he's entering, and the priests in the temple are asking, are saying, let him in, let him in. Who is this king of glory? Verse 7, he's the Lord. He's God. Strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your head, O gates, that the king of glory may come in. So without even knowing it, the psalm that they're reciting is, is, a, is a messianic fulfillment um, and then saddest verse, one of the saddest verses in the Bible, he strides right up into the big Temple Mount area and looks around and leaves uh, because the Jewish people don't receive him as, uh, as Messiah. So let's pray, and we'll do this even this morning. Heavenly Father, we come before you, God of all creation, King of the universe. If you had not given us words, you gave us language and minds, the ability to communicate, but had you not done that, we we, we wouldn't even be able to speak to you right now. But even with that ability, we, we often struggle to find words to give you the praise that you deserve. And Lord, the best thing that we can do in that situation is, is quote your own words back to you. And so we, we think about your, your creation. We think about the fact that the heavens declare your glory, displays your majesty, it's impossible for us to comprehend power like that, um, the ability to speak, and quasars come into existence, the stars take their place by your willful command, the seas gather, land um, forms, you take dust, dirt that you have created, and you, you form a human being, you breathe life in, in, into it, into him. You, you create male and female. Um, and we think of that and we say, who are, who are we that you even pay attention to us? But, but you do because we bear your image and we are your creation. We, we, we bow before you. We worship you. Um, we give you honor and praise we turn our faces to the ground as you are high and mighty and, and lifted up. Who is able to stand before you, Lord? Who is able to come before a God like this? Well, um, only by your invitation. And we fully recognize that, that we, 
we have rebelled, we are sinful, not only in our actions, but, but in our thoughts and our desires. There's a disposition within us that has, has been there from the womb where we want to rule, we, we don't want to submit, and um, we confess that. And we know that we, we, have, uh, we have no ability to make ourselves right. We can only trust in, in your promise and the promise of provision that whoever will call upon your name shall find mercy and that mercy comes from, from your son, Jesus Christ, who, who has uh, provided an atonement, a covering to wash away our sins and then the standing of righteousness that you, you declare that we are in him. And so having repented and believed, having humbled ourselves, trusting fully in Him and Him alone, we now stand before you perfect and holy and blameless. Um, And we want to live that out in our lives, Lord. And so we pray, even this morning, we ask, um, even standing in Christ, in in our saved state, do we have integrity in our hearts? Do we have righteousness in our deeds do we speak truth to ourselves and to to other people and as we ask that lord the areas that we see we we come up short we we confess to you again we we trust in in christ Um, he is our advocate and we ask that even this very day you would help us to to be men that um, that walk by faith and are humble men we praise you for that. We, we want your blessing. You promised it to us. We don't deserve it, but we receive it, and we give you thanks for it. Um, and while we, we look back now, uh, when the Lord Jesus himself was presented as the king, knowing that that king must die, we, we look forward again to, to his second coming when the kingdom will be set up and all the earth will, will look upon him and he will will rule and reign upon the throne of David and will do so um, for a thousand years and then, then all eternity. Bless us, Lord, today as we, 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 we encourage one another, provoke one another to love and good works. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Foundational convictions. Where do you start well, you can find even in the title, you need some convictions. You need to be convictional about your life. Being a man requires you to be convictional. You don't want to be wishy-washy. You don't want to be blown about by every wind of, of doctrine. You don't want to be led by, by, by the world, the flesh, the devil. You, you don't want to be weak in, you know, in that, and that requires you to be convictional. You must have some, some stakes driven down in, in, in your life. You need to be tethered to those stakes uh, there. The wind may blow and you may drift, but, but you, need to have a, you need to have a rope that, that ties you to those convictions. So if you don't have some convictional stakes driven down in your life. What do I mean by that? Truths that are immovable, things that you believe so firmly that you'd be willing to sacrifice something for, that you'd be even willing to die for. What, 
What do you believe? These things will, will, will make up the underpinnings of your life, and then that's the foundation upon which you lead, you serve, you do that in your families, in your church, and others. So you need some foundational convictions. Before you ever start living in the house, you, you, you need to, to build the, the house itself, and then that rests on a foundation. And, and for us, the foundation is Scripture. So what are the foundational convictions that we find in Scripture that build, or are supposed to build, uh, men? And so we talked about beginning having a working biblical literacy. You, you, you need the source, and you need to understand the source. We don't want to hover over the truth. We want to, we want to dig down into the truth, and we want to mine out its, its, uh, it, its blessings. So you have to understand the Bible, understand these broad categories of what Scripture teaches. You don't want to just worm drill all over the Bible and have a bit here and a bit there. You need to understand the, the storyline of Scripture, biblical theology. You need to understand who God is, what he's doing in the world, what he's promised. And again, if you're not there, don't let that discourage you. When I came to Christ, I didn't know the difference between the Old and the, the New Testament. You just start somewhere and you go to that source and then you start building, um, building understanding, a working biblical uh, literacy. Know in your Bible where specific passages speak to specific issues, which, again, you can take this too far, so please don't. This is one of the reasons I like a hard copy of Scripture. Understand that you have a phone and you have your Bible on your phone and you may use that in certain times, but there is no replacement of having a physical copy where you're in it on a regular basis. I can still, to this very day, image, see, picture in my mind of exactly where about in my Bible this verse is, even if I can't remember that it's you know Proverbs twenty eight thirteen, I can just see it because I'm in it so much over and over and over, and uh, it just lays out in my you know in in my brain. Um, so that, that that would be helpful um, if you use your phone to surf uh, Fox News or whatever else it is, uh, and then you use that same thing for. You know, for looking up verses or following along on, on Sunday morning, um, that again, there's nothing wrong with that. I'm just telling you there may be a better way. Having a hard copy of the scriptures that you carry around on a regular basis, uh, like, like, like a sword. Uh, I used to carry a, a little New Testament in my back pocket everywhere uh, I went. Um, and uh, someone called it uh, like a derringer, and that became my little title for it. I carry my little pistol around everywhere I go, pull it out, witness to people, pull it out to be able to read it. And again, I understand that's available to you electronically, but there's something about having a copy of God's Word that you can open up and that, that, you, can, that you can read that will help you get familiar with it. And that's what I'm talking about, familiarity. That's, that, that's there. Knowing in your Bible where specific passages speak to specific issues, and it's not merely an academic exercise. The eggheads have the opposite problem of people like me and, and you, where we're, we're saying, well, I, I mean, I'm a simple guy. Um, that, that They have the problem of approaching Scripture like an academic exercise. They know a bunch of stuff, but that stuff's not going to do anything if, if, if you don't 
have the kind of heart that we just learned about and looking to that God and then know how to put it into know how to put it into practice. So you have to know your Bible, and it's not merely an academic exercise, not just dissemination of data, but it's a it's grounded in love for the truth. And love for the truth is grounded in love for God. Um you need to be alert that there are challenges in the digital age. We, we, we do have a busy life and a busy world. We don't sit and ponder truth as the Puritans you know, once did. Um, you want to be an expository listener. You want to pursue every avenue that you have. You also want to have the right perspective of leadership. Avoid viewing it as organization or mobilizing people. It's, it's really modeling a personal pursuit of Christ. That's what leadership is. Um, old guy once said, if you want to um, try to figure out who to marry, run as hard and as fast as you can for Christ and look to the right and look to the left and see who's keeping up with you and say, do you want to run together? Um, leadership is, is nothing more than your own personal pursuit of Christ. You're working that out in life. And then there, there's gravity that's brought to your life, and then other people are pulled into that, pulled into that orbit. Um, so have the right perspective of leadership. Apply the word to life's hardest questions. Take it and work it out practically. John MacArthur said all of his sermons come from his own questions about the text. I looked at the next passage, and I go, what does that mean? What does that mean? What does that mean? I don't know. <laughs> so I just go dig it out, mine it out. I answer the questions for my own soul. And then I just tell people the answers that I found. Um, and so take the truth and work it out practically. Ask questions uh, of the text, which means you've got to be interested in the text. And you're not going to be interested in the text unless you're interested in God. If you're interested in something else then you're not going to be interested about, about what the Bible says. I'm interested in other things. I'm interested in whatever. Fill, fill in the blank. Um, that begins by renewing your mind. True change happens at the heart level. Number four, know how to develop, uh, uh, know how to help others develop convictions. And you're not going to be able to help others develop convictions if you don't have any convictions. People follow convictional people. It's not about what you look like or your money or your your ability. I mean, you can have a West Virginia accent. You you can. I mean, it doesn't. That stuff doesn't matter. That's all noise. Who wants? Who do I want to follow? I want to follow somebody who who knows God, and I know they know God, and they're willing to follow God no matter what. I mean, that that conviction that, that that's there. Now, Satan can use that too. So you've got to make sure that whoever you're following has these character qualities that we talked about earlier and that they're getting every, all of their convictions from Scripture. But know how to develop convictions. Convictions are beliefs that drive your life and for which you would, you would die if circumstances demanded. And I'm going to say, well, I don't know that I'm ever going to be asked to be burnt at the stake. I hope not. But what about dying to self? What about dying to the job? 
are you going to take? What about dying to your reputation? What about dying to your bank account? What about dying in all these other ways? Well, convictions is what leads you to do that. You, you have to confront your inner thoughts with the truth and then yield to it. It's not just knowing what God says. It's yielding to it. And the more you do that, over and over, well, I've yielded to that, but it came back. Yeah, it's going to come back. (laughs) Because your heart is there generating things that are contrary to God. So you bring your heart and you yield it to the truth. You yield those inner thoughts to the truth. And you do that over and over and over, and then the mind of Christ is is formed more and more and more, and then it becomes easier, and then there's not as much being dredged up from from the mud in the bottom of the well. Convictions help you take stands, have courage in hard seasons. It just simply means to be convinced. Um, We'll come up to Romans 8. Wonderful passage. And in that, Paul says... I am persuaded, I'm convinced that neither death nor life. He talks about the, nothing will ever separate him from Christ. Um, have the right perspective of yourself. Don't take yourself too seriously. Let, let a man uh, regard us in this manner as servants of Christ. God can minimize and God can maximize our usefulness at any time. Don't take yourself too seriously. Um, Have the right perspective of longevity. Teach others to stay at it and be faithful for the long term. You want to be a freight train, not a shooting star. You want to be on the tracks that God lays down in his word, and then you want to just build steam over your life and run to the destination on the tracks that God's provided and that destination, seeing him face to face. And then you want to bring as many people on the train as you want. You don't want to just, you know, and then flame out. Don't fall for fads or gimmicks. Don't believe Satan's lies. Have the right perspective of influence. It's not a superficial level. Um, and all influence comes from godly characters. The psalm that we just read, Psalm 24, has a parallel in Psalm 15. Psalm 15, 1 through 5, ask the same question, same introspection of your, uh, of your heart. Your force and credibility will come from your godliness, how consistently you strive after the, after the Lord and who you are when no one is watching, but Christ is who you really are. Uh, well, um, you know, I, I fell to that or I did that, but that's not me. Yeah, that's you. Well, I didn't mean to say that. You know, that just, that just came out. Yeah, well, where did it come from? It came from your heart. You did mean to say that. Just most of the time, you, you have a guard on your mouth. But, but it's in there. It came out. And then look at number two here. All godly character flows from a life of humility and faith. Now think about that statement. All godly character. So this is... What characterizes your life, what marks your life, what stamps your life, and it's godly character. So this is obviously after salvation. All godly character 
It's characteristics of my life that are godly, that are aligned with God, expressions of God in heart and in life. All godly character flows from a life of humility and faith. So if someone would ask you, what is, what is humility? God gives grace to the humble. What is humility? What would you say? What's humility? Okay. One that ascribes proper glory to God. Good. What else? Yeah. Okay. This is abandonment of personal pride and acknowledgement of God. Good. An accurate view of yourself. That's right. Exactly right. Accurate view of yourself, accurate view of God, proper relation between those two. We want to add anything else to that? Yeah. Okay. See others is more important than myself. And I'm able to see others as more important than myself because I have an accurate view of God and an accurate view of myself. Yeah. When, when you're lifted up toward other people, that, that is proof that you have an inaccurate view of, of yourself and an, an inaccurate view of God. Okay, looking at yourself and how insignificant those those efforts and things are. It literally means uh, lowliness of mind. Um, and then you say, well, okay, what does that mean? So it's a heart attitude. It begins with humility as a heart attitude. Um, and a re- it, it, it's a recognition of who we are and what we are in light of God. Um, Augustine said it was a, a downward disposition based on a Godward reality. So a downward disposition based on a, a Godward reality. So it's a, it's a proper evaluation of ourselves in light of who God is. Just like that psalm we started with. Before we ever start looking at ourselves, we, we, we look up and we look at who God is. When you, you start there, then things get properly oriented. How could, how could God, how could a good God do or allow all these evil things, you know, to good people? Uh, it was a total misorientation there. All kinds of problems with that statement, obviously. But it's, it's someone evaluating God in light of, of who they think they are. I am, I am bringing suspect, I am, I'm bringing accusation against God because of who I think I am. And the Bible does the opposite. Here's who God is and here's who we are in, in light of that. And when you see who God is, then you're properly, you're, you're rightly able to see who you are and then that produces a downward disposition. That produces a lowliness of mind, a, a proper perspective of oneself in light of who God is. Um, a downward disposition, not lifted up inside with the illusion of self-sufficiency or self-righteousness or self, 
so if anything, which is an illusion. But there's a danger there. So I have the right perspective of God and the right perspective of myself. How does humility come out sometimes that's not really a really genuine, genuine humility? Um, you think of some ways in which we... Humility is contrived. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yes, sir. Okay. Standing in light of men rather than in light of God. Both of those are in that. That same thing, and Jesus warns against that. I mean, that's one of the passages that you had here to, you know, to look up. The Pharisees did everything that they did for vain show, in front of everybody else, rather than in, in, in front of God. What I'm aiming at is, is humility is not being down on yourself. You know, well, here's who God is. Here's who I am. I'm just a dirt bag. I'm just walking around. I'm just, you know, that that's not that's not biblical humility. Um, there can be pride even in that. I'm going to try to make sure I look like I'm, I'm eating dirt all the time because that's what I want to communicate to God as if I eat enough dirt, then God's going to accept me. That's not biblical humility. Or if I eat enough dirt in front of everybody else, then everybody else is going to think I'm a really humble guy, which is really what I want. I want them to know how humble I, I really, really am, right? It's not being down on yourself. It's having a proper perspective as one who sees themselves rightly before God. To see yourself as you truly are. And then you'll say what's correct about, about yourself and about who, who God is. All godly character flows from a life of, of humility. It, it, it's a a proper perspective of yourself in light of a proper perspective of, of who, who God is. It's a proper orientation. Um, I need some contrast here between Matthew 23, 5-12, and then Luke 18, which is the, you know, God be merciful to me, a sinner, versus the ones that try to do this outwardly. Before, before men. I mean, we, we deserve nothing. Salvation is a gift. And when we see ourselves rightly, we respond rightly. God uses those who are cultivating particular character qualities on a consistent basis. He looks to those who are humble, contrite of heart, and who tremble at His word. When they learn... The truth of his word, Isaiah 66. This is who God looks to. You want to draw the gaze of the Lord? Have a right perspective of yourself based on who God is. Be humble. And have a contrite heart. What does a contrite heart mean? I mean, any verse that says God gives grace to somebody who's like this, I want to be whatever that is, right? God gives grace to the humble. I mean, that that in and of itself ought ought to... Cause us to pursue that. Well, there's a verse in Isaiah that, that adds some other things. 
which all kind of goes together. Isaiah 66, who does the Lord look? Who draws the Lord's gaze? Those who are humble and have a contrite heart. What does a contrite heart mean? Okay, broken by sin. That's exactly what the word means, broken and, and crushed. It's humble, being humbled by an awareness of your guilt. Somebody who makes no excuses, they don't shift blame. They're crushed by that, so they know which where to look. And who tremble when they learn the word of his truth, proper respect, proper trust. These are the words of God, these are the words of the Creator. And God uses those who are cultivating particular qualities on a consistent basis. So what should you be cultivating on a consistent basis? Humility, um, contrition, looking in the mirror of the word and recognizing, humbled by your guilt, and then trembling in his word, growing in a um, in an awareness, these are the words of, of, your, of your creator, and not just knowing the words, but actually applying them to, uh, to life. Godly character flows from humility, from a proper view of God, which gives you a proper view of, of, of self. And then who does God use? God uses people that are cultivating humility in their lives. That's what will draw other people to follow you and what will allow the Lord to, to use you. Is that contrary or uh, in line with what the world tells you? You probably already know the answer to that, right? What does the world say? Okay, you deserve. You deserve a break today. Have it your way. You can be whatever you want to be. Do whatever you want to do. What else does the world say? Amen. Surely doesn't come from humility, does it? It's all external. It's it's shiny metal, numbers on a page. Um, how I can make my body look, even Photoshop it. That's deteriorating on a daily basis. Things that are empty, things that that perish. Influence. What else? I'm the I'm the master, you know that that, that convictional part. You know, I'm going to take the hill. I'm the man. With, but that's disconnected from God, disconnected from 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 something that's eternal, you know, or lasting, or or something disconnected from being properly oriented under the one who, you know, who's who's reigning. Yeah, 
even even in the you know the whole virtue signaling now today. I mean, I'm what 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 people are glorying in is is uh, is their brokenness, their brokenness, their weakness. Yeah. Amen. A fantasy, um, desiring to be something that uh, you know that 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 they're not. You get into gaming, you can get into all kinds of things that create some fantasy, fantasy world, and and then people start living that out. They pretend to be something, you know that 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 they're not. They're not honest about themselves to others, so they're surely not honest about themselves to God. Okay? You're perfect just the way you are. <laughs> Think about that statement. You're perfect just the way you are. Do you want to be just the way you are? I don't want to be just the way I am. <laughs> Praise God that glorification is going to happen one day. I mean, I do not want to be. I am not perfect just the way that I am. And common sense would tell you <laughs> that you're not perfect the way that you are. But they have to tell themselves that over and over and over. Okay, it's good. What else? Self-esteem. Yeah. It's pumping air. The stinky breath of the devil. Pumping air into yourself, lifting yourself up. Big windbag. He's a liar. He's a deceiver. And why is that bad? Because that won't deliver anybody. I mean, God loves you enough to tell you the truth. God wants you to be full of joy. God wants you to have an abundant life. He, he wants you to receive his blessings. It's just he knows that the only way you can get them is, is to see who he is and then rightly see yourself. So then he can remake you because you're replicating a fallen image. Godly character flows from a life of, of humility. So you're not going to develop new character, character like the Lord, unless you see yourself or the Lord rightly. And it also says faith. Um, humility is at the root of every virtue. That's where it starts proper perspective of God, which gives you a proper perspective of, of self. But it, it says godly character also f- flows from faith. What is faith? Oh, I just believe it. Oh, I believe it, I believe it, I believe it. Is that faith? To tell my heart down, boy, I want to launch right there. That's not faith. Faith is a response. Faith is your believing response to a promise of God. You have to have God who can back it up and God who makes a promise, a declaration, and then you are responding to that promise. You're believing it. Faith is your believing response to a promise that God made. Without God and his promise, then, then it's, 
it's not biblical faith. It might be sincerity. I mean, people are sincere about things, sincerely deceived about things. They may really believe certain things. You really believe certain things in the blindness of your sin. Biblical faith is God makes a promise. I will do this. This is true. And then you have a believing response to that. Believing God and His promises. It may add to, to faith, the definition of faith. So how do we get faith? Where's faith come from, ultimately? It's a gift from God. What does that mean? Gift of, of faith. So it's, 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 it's not God zapping you or God you know, pulling puppet on the strings, it's, it, but it is God enabling you to do something that you could not do before without His regeneration, without the work of His Spirit. So you're dead, and God gives you the ability to then respond to where you didn't have that ability to restore. Here are the promises of God, and the Lord enables you. But then you are the one who lays hold of that. Without that enablement from the Lord, you would have never done that. It's a gift. So we mean by it's a gift. The Lord enables you to be able to respond um, to, you know, to, to, his, to His Word. So it's a gift. Um, can it grow? Can your faith grow? Yeah. What did Jesus say to the disciples? Something you don't want to hear. <laughs> you have little faith. Ugh. I have to say it to myself all the time. I say it to the Lord. You don't have to tell me. I know. <laughs> I am of little faith. But you know what comes right after that in my prayer? Give me more. I want more. What am I saying? I want some, you know... Fuzzy mystical substance. I, I want to to cultivate greater belief. I, I, I want to see your promises, believe your promises, trust in your promises, and I know you've enabled me to do that. You've also enabled me to grow in that faith. I can grow in faith. So, how do I grow in faith? Can you think of something else? So you're talking like even in the practice part, there's one thing right before that, and I think I just heard it back there. Faith comes by what? Hearing, word of Christ. Okay? So how do I grow in faith? You get more of the Bible in you. The more Bible you put in you, your faith grows. Um, Be ye filled with the Spirit. Be not drunk with wine, but be ye filled with the Spirit. I want to be filled with the Spirit. What does being filled with the Spirit mean? That's Ephesians. Go back to the parallel passage in Colossians 3. 
let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. You want the filling of the Spirit? Be filled with the word of God because the Spirit is, 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 is activating the, the, the truth that's in you. So more Bible, grow in faith. More I understand. And again, I'm not just talking about memorizing verses. I'm not saying that's bad. Memorize the Bible. Memorize the Bible. Hide it in your heart, but go beyond that. Apply it to life's hardest questions. Meditate on it. Think about it. Press it down into the areas of, of your life. And you say, I don't know how to do that. Well, I didn't either. There's still areas of my life I'm, I'm learning. We'll get around other, other people. This is, this is where the life of the church comes in. Don't just sit over there on an island listening, trying to work the angles yourself. Get around other people. Ask the question. See how it's worked out in somebody else's life. Be a humble man. Recognize, I don't have it all worked out, so I need to work this out you know, in, my, in my life. Um, because all you are is not what other people think of you. All you are is who you are alone before Christ. That's who you are. And you say, I don't want to be who I am in that room. Then then grow, and the Lord's given you the ability to grow. Because he's enabled you to have faith, and he wants that faith to grow, and the way that it grows is getting more of the Bible in you and working that Bible out in your life, because faith is a believing response to the promises of God. So the more you know of the promises of God, the more that you, the more you can trust in those promises. Does that make sense? Amen. That's what our brother right there was saying. You put him into practice. And that Mark Hager says, what, you don't, you don't really believe something until you practice it? Do you even remember saying that? You probably quoted somebody else, but we'll give you credit this morning. Yeah. Yeah, yeah no things, but practicing them drives them drives them, them down in your life. Okay, that's good. You don't own it until you practice it. And doing that over and over drives it, drives it deeply. How do I know whether I really believe it? Well, I'll put it into practice. Actually, do it. Godly character flows from a life of humility and faith. And God uses those who are cultivating particular character qualities on a consistent basis. So where do I want to spend my time? I want to spend my time cultivating humility and faith. Um, I want to have a proper perspective of God, so the more I know about God, the more I see who God really is, the more I can see who I am, and that rightly orients me to God and other people. And then I want to grow in faith. I want to believe and respond rightly to God's promises, which means I'm in the Bible, I'm in the truth, and I'm working that out in, in life. Genuine humility and faith are measured by faithfulness to Christ. How do I know how much humility and faith I have or whether I have it? Well, genuine humility and faith are measured by faithfulness to Christ. Not a one-hit wonder. Perseverance and holy striving. I keep hacking away. You know, the one grace that you can't fake 
You can fake a lot of things. The one grace that you can't fake is perseverance of the saints. Time and truth walk together. Who you are and what you are will, will come out over, over, over time. Perseverance and holy striving. If you're discouraged about the, the progress, success that you're making, you made last week, take another week. Take another month. Look at a bigger, well, I don't see a whole lot there. Go back a little bit farther. At some point, you need to see something. There can be ups and downs and ebbs and flows, and you're really going after it. God's doing great things in your life, and there are other times where there are troughs or dips where, where the Lord's trying to get your attention or other things going on. But is there perseverance in holy striving? Do you fall seven times but then rise again? Loyalty to Christ in all circumstances? When you must choose, do you? Well, then who do you choose? What do you choose? And trustworthiness in stewardship of serving the Lord. Genuine humility and faith are measured by faithfulness to Christ in striving, in loyalty, and in being a steward of, of your service to, to, to the Lord. Any final thoughts on any of that? Sure. Yeah. Yeah, I was thinking back to the example of the, the, the disciples, you know, when the Lord says, Did I not Master, do you not care we perish? Did I not say we were going to the other side? That's what I said, right? Forgetting myself, not looking for things to esteem in myself, but forgetting. Yeah. Mm hmm. It's like a, it's like preparing the, the the field for seed, you know. Right view of God, right view of self. The ground's tilled up, and and now the word can can take root, and you and faith can generate. Yeah. Poor in spirit. Amen. 
Yeah, I was trying to think back. If I, if I think, I do think the the idea of being convictional, which can come out and take the hill, can be godly, because I do see that in it. But it's, it's. Um, I don't think that there's one simple answer, you know, to that. It's, it's you're being propelled by the truth. You're compelled by the truth to take that hill. And, and the hill is not about you standing on top of it. It's about, it's about Christ. It's about, you know, Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I'd rather die, but it's better for me to stay here, you know. I mean, that, that's a man who's, I'm going to take the hill of life. Um, and so it's, uh, it would be more the motives, the goals that are there. But, yeah, I mean, being convictional, um, with a proper proper awareness of self and you know a proper awareness of you know of, of God, uh, the the vain show type of taking the hill might have been what I was aiming at. Just the you know the puff and chest thumping and without any substance to it or without any submission to you know to to the Lord. You better believe Paul was. Was convictional, and and, and that—that's really where the, the the indescribable, mind-boggling power is, where other people, like, what can you do to me? You kill me, send me to my savior, you know? Please, <laughs> I mean, you 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 can't affect me at all. I am I am so fixed on. You know, on Christ and His purposes—that's otherworldly, and that's what people people gravitate toward. So, did you?
Did you notice that he put being married and with children <laughs> a greater test of faith than Greek or Hebrew? <laughs> this is true. Yeah. You'll never be more exposed than you are as a married man and, and a father. you have a final comment, Tuck? encourage you when we leave uh, just just as we leave he who began a good work in you will continue it until the day you see him face to face so this whole thing that we're talking about cultivating humility and faith and where am I at right now and where do I want to be the Lord has committed himself to making that happen in your life so he's got you wherever you're at and he's orchestrating events and circumstances and lessons and other things to to bring you to his appointment. And you will make it to the end because he's promised, not because of, of us. Amen? Lord, we love you. Thank you so much for your truth. Help us to apply it to life today. And may we bring you glory in Jesus' name. Amen.